And we are coming to the end of our worship series on the art of neighboring. We have looked at many different things. We have looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. We have looked at the command to love our neighbor. We have looked at what it means to have a neighborly heart, to look after the best interests of our neighbor, what it looks like to, to act out of a sense of reaching across differences rather than being separated by them. And now we come to our last story. Luke 7, verse 36. Before we receive God's story, let us pray for the Spirit's work. Please pray with me. Our God who speaks, we come before you this morning opening your word, listening to your story, following your son. And so we ask that you send your spirit to us as we open your word, as we wonder what the story means for us today, and as we seek to follow your son in love of neighbor, in love of community, in love of the world you've made. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So listen then for the voice of God. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, 
but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have lived in my current neighborhood for seven years. We actually moved in at the same time that I started here at Community. And I have experienced more power outages in my current neighborhood than any that I've lived in before. A big storm came through not that long ago and knocked down power lines and dropped tree branches all over. Another time, a car hit a pole a few blocks over and knocked out the power for another couple hours. And most recently, just this last weekend actually, a house on Benton Street near me caught fire. And to protect the fire crew, because the poles were where the power lines were right next to the house, Hydro One took down the whole grid of downtown Kitchener for over 12 hours. And each time this happened, as darkness descended, as power went out, each time this happened, my neighborhood came alive. When that big storm came through, it was early evening when it finally passed, and we all emerged out of our very dark houses to kind of assess the damage and look, poke around and see what happened in our neighborhood. And folks began to pitch in and help each other, clean up, someone brought out a chainsaw and hacked a larger part of a tree that had fallen down. And those of us who weren't helping, we kind of hung around and talked about what happened. Were you there? What did you see? This happened? Yeah, me too. And we just stood on our front porches talking. You saw each other. Our front porches were full. The sidewalks were full. You could hear snippets of conversation as people made connections with each other. Oh, you're over on Whitney Street. Are you the house with those beautiful roses that bloom in June? Or another snippet heard, oh, oh, you're the one who walks her cats. Okay. And last weekend, with the house fire, there was no cleaning up that we could do. We left that to the fire crew. But there was also no distress once we knew that everyone had gotten out of the house safely. And so we weren't staying in our house. There was no air conditioning. It was dark. And we just kind of puttered around and talked to each other. We stopped and made sure that people who were coming into it was uh, on a Saturday, we stopped and made sure that people knew why the power was out when they were coming home from hanging out somewhere else on a Saturday. We gave each other updates on the Hydro One kind of latest tweet about when we might see power come back. 
spoiler alert, it did not come back for hours till after they said. Some people were out looking for the cats that had, we hoped, managed to escape the house fire. And the folks with solar-powered front porch lights were the gathering places for conversation as the dark descended and power did not return. And then during a different outage, actually, so not power, but when Rogers went out, our neighbor Lori across the street had Belle, <laughs> and she worked from home during the day. And her house became, her couch became kind of the local neighborhood Starbucks where you stopped by for a cup of coffee and the use of her Wi-Fi. My neighborhood came alive in these moments. But then the lights came back on. The home Wi-Fi works again. You don't need to be over at Lori's. The air conditioning kicks back on with that telltale drone outside of each of our homes. And everyone returns indoors, with front doors shut rather than swinging open. And each time this has happened, each time we get a glimpse of what it looks like to have a neighborhood fully alive with each other, when that closes shut, it feels so much more lonely. With our needs met by modern technology, by power lines, by especially our own Wi-Fi and screens, we need each other a little less, right? It takes a power outage to realize that all those things insulate us from each other, from those immediately near us. Because in our everyday life, I mean, neighbors are nice, but we don't really need them. We don't really need them unless something out of the ordinary happens. When things are working properly in our lives, why do we need neighbors? We have been talking about how to love our neighbors for a few, few weeks. We have looked at the Heidelberg Catechism. We have looked at the stories and words of Jesus. We have looked at Mr. Rogers and to our own practices of neighboring, paying attention to those we live close to. And as we come to this last week, as we come to this story, we end on one aspect of loving our neighbors that I don't think we're really quick to go to that we don't often think about. But the simple act of loving our neighbors includes asking for help, reaching out and asking for help. I want you to stop and think just for a moment. This might come really easy to some of you, maybe a bit harder for others. When was the last time you asked a neighbor for help? You, I'm not gonna ask you to actually answer that, but think. Was it yesterday? Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it last year? Was it never in your current neighborhood? When was the last time you asked a neighbor for help? Not someone in the church community, just someone who lives on your street. Who's your neighbor? Maybe like my neighborhood, in my own experience actually, 
you have to think of a power outage, or maybe the early days of the pandemic, right? Something out of the ordinary happens to you, and you realize, oh, oh, I actually need something and someone. But in the ordinary course of things, neighbors are nice and all, but we don't really need them. None of us really go for that proverbial cup of sugar. Like, I don't know if you have ever been in the middle of baking a cake and been like, oh, I need that one cup of sugar. I don't know where this comes from. But we don't really go around asking for that proverbial cup of sugar. We are far more likely to hop in our car, go to the store and get it ourselves, or more likely just make sure we add it to our next online grocery store order. But if we walk away from this worship series on the art of neighboring, thinking that loving our neighbor is only what we do for others, how we care, how we act, how we give, how we stay in control of the narrative and the relationship, we are missing out on something big missing out on the opportunity to build actual relationships. Relationships that matter. Missing out on the opportunity to work toward a neighborhood, not just to folks who happen to have the same street in their address, but working towards a neighborhood of folks who build up community and create bonds with each other of need, of care, of neighborliness, and of love. As we follow Jesus in this story, we're offered a way of seeing how our capacity to love, love neighbor, love God, is shaped by our ability or our inability <laughs> to ask for help. Our story is a story of contrasts. And, and we might be quick to think it's a story that's kind of pitting Simon against Jesus, right? Pharisee against our Lord. As two religious leaders with very, very differing responses to a sinful woman in their midst. But the story, both how Luke tells it, but also how Jesus is in the story, draws a different contrast between someone who knows their need and reaches out for help and another person who is so out of touch with their own needs, they don't think they need any help at all, and the consequences for both ways of being. Simon first. Simon is a religious leader. He's respected, educated. He knows the ins and outs of the religious institution of which he is a member. He, and he's pretty right with God, he thinks. I mean, he not only follows the rules, but he enforces the rules on God's behalf. And he's invited Jesus to dinner at his house in order to figure out this new traveling teacher and where he fits within the rules. Is he a flaw, a failure, or a prophet? Simon's betting on the flaw and the failure in the system. And then there's the woman. 
who could not be more different from Simon. In fact, she actually just remains nameless in our story. She is only known by the simple fact that her reputation is that of a sinner in her own hometown. And we quickly jump. <laughs> Whenever there is a woman in scripture and she's sinful, we quickly jump to that it is sexual sin. Right, she's a woman, she's a sinner, gotta be a prostitute, right? No. <laughs> Luke never says that or leads us there. Just a sinful woman. For whatever she has done, she's been pushed to the margins of her own community and town, judged and despised, and maybe rightly. But then she draws close to Jesus. And as she does, she is overcome and just can't stop crying. She never actually says a word in our story. She doesn't even speak. Simon, assuming he's right with God and in no need of grace, does not realize or see the presence of God at his table in his own home. Does not see Jesus, does not and cannot see the woman. And the woman, knowing that she is not right with God and with her neighbor, that she is in need of so much mercy, she draws close to Jesus with a love that overpowers her to the point of tears, to a gratitude that makes her weep. And this is the contrast in the story. Jesus draws Simon into this contrast by telling his little story of two debtors, two people, both in debt up to their necks, neither of them able to repay it in the exact same situation, and both receive the gift of the moneylender, forgiving what they owe, lifting off that weight of debt and setting them free. Both have received that gift. And Jesus, in telling Simon this story, knowing who this Pharisee is, Jesus is inviting Simon to see himself as someone in need of that gift, <laughs> of mercy, of forgiveness. Jesus is inviting Simon to understand himself the way the woman understands herself, as someone in great need of help. You see Jesus kind of pushing into Simon a little bit by having him tease out the story. Jesus turns to Simon and says, so who, who do you think loves him more? And until this point, I kind of bet Simon thought that he was the one pitted against Jesus in the story of contrast, one teacher to another, in a contest of wit and strength and religious practice. But Jesus reveals the heart of the matter. 
heart of the matter is knowing our need for help. And having received that help, it shapes our ability to love more deeply, more fully, with more gratitude. And in this matter, in the heart of the matter, the woman is the expert. She is the teacher, not Simon, not the Pharisee, not the religious leader. This nameless woman weeping in God's presence. So Jesus drives his point home even more. Wanting this upstanding religious leader to wake up. Because <laughs> he has no real love for God who is standing right in front of him. He has no real love for his neighbor in this woman at Jesus' feet. And so Jesus pushes deeper into Simon. Hoping, hoping that he actually wakes up to his need. Simon, I came into your house. You invited me. But you didn't truly welcome me. You extended no acts of hospitality or kindness. There was no water to clean my feet. There was no traditional kiss of kindness. There was no oil to smooth my beard after a dusty journey. Nothing, Simon. But do you see this woman? This woman that you have so easily dismissed and judged and not even seen. She has shown me such great love. Not just washing my feet, but bathing them with her tears. Not just the traditional peck on the cheek, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet and pouring oil on them. And why in the world is she doing this? Why does she love me so? Because she knows the gift she has received. She has known her need her inability to pay her debt. And she has received that gift. And she loves greatly because of it. Then Jesus speaks those words of what sounds like both judgment and warning. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And that has been taken to mean that Simon's sins are less than the woman's. Again, especially if we read her as a prostitute. But that's not the difference Jesus is talking about. The difference is not the depth of sin. Neither can repay what they owe. That's what the story Jesus tells us about. They are both debtors unable to pay. But the difference between the two, between Simon and between this woman showing great love, is their awareness of their need, the awareness of their lack. 
Simon thought he had no need for mercy. He was doing all right. He was in control. He followed the rules. He had this. And the woman knew better than the religious leader. Simon's smug self-righteousness kept him distant from Jesus and from his neighbor. Whereas this woman's acceptance of her need drew her closer to Jesus and would have drawn her closer to Simon if he had let her. We'd be hard on Simon, but we are more like Simon than I think we are like the woman, right? We normally live our lives pretty self-sufficiently with everything figured out, more or less. We live as if we are in debt to no one, that we are in control, that we've got this. With an attitude that seems to say, I mean, God is nice and all, and our neighbors are nice and all, but when things are working properly, don't really need either of them. But this, this posture, being like Simon, this keeps us far from each other, far from God and far from our neighbors. This unnamed woman with a checkered past with tears on her cheek shows us a better way. Ask for help. which is profoundly vulnerable, (laughs) which is profoundly humbling, which is an admission of need and lack that makes us deeply uncomfortable. Admitting to ourselves and to God and in front of others that we are not enough No matter how hard we try, we need help. My neighborhood came alive in those moments of darkness, of moments of power outages, because during those brief hours, we understood deeply that we needed each other. We asked each other for help, and we received it. We cared for each other in real and tangible ways, and we were cared for by each other in real and tangible ways. And most gloriously, our front doors swung open rather than closed shut. And briefly, we caught a glimpse of our neighborhood as a community, not just of folks who happen to share the same street in their address, who happen to live in close proximity to each other, but as a community of neighborliness and relationship.
one of the outcomes for me personally in getting that glimpse is you kind of try to figure out how does this actually then shape how I act in everyday life? <laughs> Not when there's a power outage, but how do I try to see my neighbors as people there for me when I need help? And then to actually ask, right? Not just expect them to mind read, which we are all very good at, I gotta tell you. There was a moment uh, in the pandemic, Brian and I don't have family that live nearby, right? In London, back in Michigan. It made the pandemic really hard. And there came a Sunday <laughs> where, we don't usually do this, it was a mess up of the calendar, we were double booked to preach on a Sunday. It was a pandemic. It was hard to bring them here. I was preaching here, but we could only have 10 people here. My kids couldn't come. And I think Brian had to uh, do his from home, which there was no way that he was going to be able to record uh, or Zoom uh, with our then two-and-a-half-year-old uh, also in the house with no adult supervision. Not going to happen. What do we do? Our parents don't live nearby. We don't have family. Our neighbors across the street, our Muslim neighbors across the street, don't go to church on Sunday morning. They have little boys that our kids adored. So we reached out and said, hey, could you help your neighbors who happen to be Christian clergy out on a Sunday morning and be our childcare? And they said, yeah, bring them on over. And so Brian and I were going out to preach the word of God in our two churches. And our lovely Muslim neighbors welcomed our kids in, took care of them, loved them, and allowed us to do our work. Glimpses of a neighborhood, not just where you happen to live in close proximity and share a street address, but where you have built bonds of relationship and trust, not just by what you do as a good Christian, but how your neighbor can bless you too can help you in your need and establish relationship on that. So this morning, as we come to the end of our series on neighboring, but as we enter again into the work of neighboring, may we grow in love of God and love of our neighbor by taking the risky and vulnerable step of reaching out and asking for help. And may we experience a glimpse, maybe even with some tears in our eyes, of the beauty of the ties that bind us, both to God and to each other, in our everyday lives, in our everyday needs, not just in those moments of darkness or distress or storm. And may we remember and trust that our deepest needs are met by the one who has forgiven us, who has given that gift that we could never repay, who welcomes us close, who will never turn us away, who invites us to turn to him, no matter what we have done or left undone, to him who is our help and to him who is our hope. Let's pray. Let's pray.
our faithful God, our helper. We lift our eyes to you. Knowing our need for you, knowing the needs that should invite us to reach out to others, but we also confess before you all that stands in the way of us doing so. Our ego and our pride, our fear, our discomfort of being vulnerable, of depending on others. So help us practice in small ways, both with you and in our neighborhoods, small ways of reaching out, of being vulnerable, of asking for help. And may you bless the ties that bind, the bonds that are formed, and the community that's possible. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.